You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We've got a great show for you today. And this is our 320th show, and we must have easily done 20 or more shows over the past eight years covering the topic of net neutrality. It has been a hot issue that we've come back to over and over again. And the battle keeps flipping from being the net neutrality side winning to the um, the anti-net neutrality forces winning. And right now it's, it's somewhat in limbo. Um, I'm reminded of the Al Gore quote, um, you win some, you lose some, and then there's that middle category. And maybe that's where the battle stands right now. But with us, we're lucky to have a um, Guara Floria, he's the policy counsel with Free Press, who's been a great show, great friend of the show. And um, he's going to walk us through where we stand because actually there are a lot of developments that have been happening in the last few weeks. <clears throat> and tomorrow is an internet wide day of action to lobby Congress. And we'll tell you what that's all about in a little bit. But first, I want to welcome Guara. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And so this has been uh, a long and winding road, definitely, uh, especially for those of you who have been involved in this fight. And as you mentioned, some of them for over New York, New York camp for over a decade. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about, about what you, you do and what Free Press does. Sure. So uh, um, a little bit about me, as you said, policy counsel here at Free Press. We've been working on a lot of internet issues, certainly net neutrality for, for more than a decade over here. Um, so I've been working on that litigation, the fight in Congress, and then other internet issues like internet privacy, mergers, really trying to you know, protect the over internet, open internet over here. And you know, if, it, if it affects that, we're, we're in the fight. And um, you know, Free Press, as I mentioned, has been a great friend of the show. They've been, we've had them 
the various people from them on the show multiple times, primarily to talk about this this one issue, and that's net neutrality. And um, there's information about Guarov and a net neutrality timeline in our show notes, which are at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And as always, follow us on Twitter at Cyber Radio. And and so I, I guess let's start with uh, the good news. Um, so in 2015, the Obama FTC with Chairman Wheeler, they adopted an open internet order that um, became you know what we what we currently refer to as the net neutrality um, order, and that was affirmed in 2016 by the DC Circuit. And, that's, uh, that's correct. Yeah. And so there was an attempt, even though that order had been repealed, in in essence, um, by the 2017 um, Trump, you know, FCC led by Ajit Pai, the chairman, um, to adopt what is known what they call the Restore Internet Freedom Order, which not only uh, repeals that neutrality, but actually um, authorizes some of the, the conduct that had previously been uh, prohibited. Um, despite that, there was a, a movement to actually try to get the Supreme Court to reverse the 2016 um, D.C. Circuit decision upholding the Obama-era rules. And uh, we have a little bit of news about that. Why don't you tell us what happened? Yeah, sure. So recently... CERT was denied at the Supreme Court to vacate the, the D.C. Circuit case that affirmed the 2015 rules. So this was a move by the FCC to, to kind of gut the presidential value of a case affirming the rules. And so if that had gone through, it would remain it was one of the pillars of the case to restore the, the 2015 rules would have been you know, cut out from, from under us. And fortunately, the court decided not to not to grant cert, um, uh, and and so so the decision stands. So we've got two good DC Circuit cases that are still on the books, affirming the 2015 order and saying that net neutrality is perfectly legal, fits squarely within the Communications Act, and you know uh, it does what it says. It does protect net neutrality and and classifies um, internet access providers as telecommunications services. And, um, and which? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Oh, I just uh, interestingly, Roberts and Kavanaugh were recused for for two different reasons. Uh, Roberts has stock in Time Warner, I believe, and Kavanaugh actually wrote the dissent at the D.C. Circuit for for um, not upholding the 2015 order. So he's also recused himself from 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 the issue and granting cert. So we're not sure how that's going to shake out when and if the you know this line of cases gets the Supreme Court again, but. That's those those two recusals are are still kind of out there, and and so that means that the 2016 decision um, is still is president in deciding um, the the current um, lawsuits over the um, the repeal order. Yes, yes, that's correct. And so those those cases are important. It's uh, you know we at Free Press and other organizations in that case laid out the rationale for net neutrality, talked about why the FCC was right in granting, um, in classifying broadband access providers as telecommunication services. And that's really the argument that the current FCC has said is not something 
that the SEC has even the power to do. So, we, you know, we've got a good holding from the D.C. Circuit kind of directly contradicting the thinking current FCC. And so that, that decision is still on the books, and they're going to have to contend with that as this case makes it, makes it through the courts. And another thing that has happened, um, and I guess these are kind of the, the side battles to the main battle, but let's kind of deal with them sequentially, is a number of states have passed laws to, or for, have passed laws um, to implement net neutrality within their own states. And with California's uh, enactment and what Governor Brown signed uh, on September 30th um, was called the gold standard of those laws. And so California was kind of the, the lead in that area, plus a number of state governors um, in their, in, used their executive authority um, for in-state purchasing power to um, require that you know, states only you know, purchase um, from providers who adhere to net neutrality principles. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that movement? Sure. I mean, we're, we're actually quite pleased to see that individuals across the country are, are leaning on their elected representatives, whether that's in their state legislatures, whether that's with their governors, or, or you know, I'm petitioning their federal legislators here in D.C. as well to institute these rules and, and however they can. So whether that, as you said, means... Uh, making sure that contracts in the state abide by net neutrality rules, no blocking, no throttling, no pay prioritization um, in, in contracts with the state to kind of use the market power of the state governments to, to ensure net neutrality that way. Or like in California's case, just, you know, passing and signing uh, very similar rules to the 2015 order at the state level. But and as, as you said, um, you know the justice, uh, the Trump Justice Department came came down with a hammer and and is suing California. Well, it plans to sue California to to wipe away those rules even at the state level. They actually filed suit the the, the day it was signed. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, they, they wasted were, no time in getting there. Were, yeah, um, let me think about that for a second. Okay, we'll see. Uh, um, <laughs> but I, I guess you know for those unfamiliar and um, not involved in the, the day-to-day battle here. Um, you know, how does a state regulate net neutrality? Sure, so states have public utilities commissions, and so, so they have to grant easements to telecommunications providers. There's a lot of, the, obviously the Communications Act is a, is a federal law, but it does leave, you know, contemplates room for there to be state action on the margins um, or how states regulate their telecommunication services. And in the absence of a federal law, which is a federal rule, which is the logic behind the FCC's repeal of net neutrality, that it has no authority whatsoever to regulate what used to be classified as telecommunication services, there's really ample room for the states to assert their own authority to, um, to protect those rules for those companies as they do business in those, in those states. So, you know, in the absence of a federal rule, it, it, it kind of does make sense that the states are there to protect their citizens from the harms that some of these providers, AT&T, Comcast, et cetera, um, want to do to their you know, fundamental right to connect and communicate on an open and free Internet. You, you raise an interesting point because there's a, kind of a double-edged sword 
um, to the FCC's repeal order. And um, by basically abandoning the space, um, they, they, on one hand, they're abandoning the space. On the other hand, they're saying, we alone can regulate, so we're preempting state law. And the, the, two, see, the two seem inconsistent. You know, how oh, can yeah. the irony, a federal authority preempt something if it's not regulating? That's, that's entirely correct. The irony is not lost on us at all. The, the FCC claims it both has no authority to regulate ISPs at all. So they've, they've completely vacated the regulatory space. And they are also asserting that no state in, may step in and take action in the telecommunications internet space either. So it is... It is, I think, fundamentally contradictory, and, and you know, that's one of the avenues of, of attack that we're going to be uh, taking to the court as well. And um, But going back to the question of how would a state regulate, um, in terms of requiring states to, you know, to adhere to net neutrality principles or only doing business with um, utilities that, I mean, ISPs that, meet these standards. Are there ISPs that meet these standards? Um, that, so, uh, you know, uh, right now, um, the, there are actually small ISPs, other people that are, you know, kind of afraid of the big players in the market that have committed publicly to, to adhering to these net neutrality rules. Um, you know, other big players, Comcast, um, uh, AT&T, you know, as soon as the 2015, oh, sorry, the 2017 order, the repeal was passed, started taking out um, their disclosures on their websites committing to upholding a lot of these rules like pay prioritization. So, right. you know, there are ISPs, the, the smaller players in the market, I think really, you know, they, they need to fight for customers. And I think one way they're doing that is by publicly committing to following the rules, whether or not in, in the absence of a federal uh, rule. But the big players, I mean, they see money to be made by by not following these rules, by prioritizing content, by throttling by blocking and so you know i think they have they've removed their public commitment to to abiding even to the spirit of the rule i mean in california there was that big controversy i believe it was with verizon um throttling um the first responders and and one of the wildfires that is that is true so um during the emergency california throttled internet access of first responders battling the wildfire while it was happening and so in the absence of, of, a, of a, you know, a federal oversight body, there's nowhere, there's no lever to pull to investigate those, those, those claims and to punish Verizon if they actually, you know, to follow through, investigate and, and, you know, regulate them. So, you know, and it and, kind of shows the danger in the absence of, a, of an oversight body. This is the kind of stuff that the ISPs are, you know, kind of gladly do. And, and that throttling would be permitted under the repeal order as long as they disclose in, in some form that they do this. That is, that is correct. So Verizon says this was just part of the contract that they had with those firefighters. So, you know, in some way it's disclosed. Those, the, the repeal order only kept the very barest minimum of transparency rules. Otherwise... Um, you know, sky's the limit for what these ISPs are allowed to do as, as long as they, in some form, and file with the SEC, tell you that that's what they're doing. So it's, I think it's a pretty, you know, dangerous time for the open internet. It's, it's free reign for these ISPs to, to act in that way, other ways, and kind of, you know, play around with uh, people's internet traffic. So if Verizon said, you know, we may 
um, they probably use some euphemism like what is it network management that we oh, yeah. do, yeah. and they they're, they can throttle people trying to save people's lives. Yes, yes, and it is so. That's the situation we're in right now. Verizon has the the legal ability to do this, and now there's no. Uh, there's no real oversight of what ISPs are allowed to do. And, and obviously the, the first responder public emergency issue is, is real. And it's kind of one of the effects that we're seeing by not having these rules on the books. Talking about, talk about a bad PR, um, yeah, fire, yeah. your firestorm, no pun intended. But um, so getting back to the state efforts, um, California, as we mentioned, was sued by the Justice Department but they've they've decided they've reached a, a kind of an agreement to stay that battle pending um, out pending resolution of the um, battle in D.C. Circuit over the repeal order. Is that correct? That is correct. So they uh, California and the Justice Department came to an agreement to wait until the outcome of the D.C. Circuit case is decided to then you know to relitigate to then actually litigate the California case. So. You know, there's a possibility if we, if we, when we win, I should say, right, that the, the California issue will become moot because the rules will be restored at the federal level. And but, but part of that agreement is California is not enforcing its law. Yes, yes, that is that is true. So there, but you know, the case is going to get heard um, early early 2019. So you know, depending on how things go, we could have a, a resolution at least of the DC Circuit by by you know six months from now or so. So um, one other track that you know, is kind of well leading up to the, the big um, showdown in the D.C. Circuit, but, but one of the other battles going on in, in the multiple fronts of this war is in Congress. And could you explain the Congressional Review Act and um, where we stand on that? Sure. So the Congressional Review Act is actually one of uh, the reforms that Newt Gingrich put in place back in you know, uh, 1995, I believe, Contract with America. And so what it is, it is a very strange mechanism that allows Congress to overturn, not through an ordinary law, but through this, through this kind of weird procedural mechanism called the Congressional Review Act. So instead of passing a new law, they can just vote on a review of a regulation that was recently promulgated and, and then just vote to, uh, to overturn it and, and restore the status quo ante. So, so in this case, the Congressional Review Act will overturn the repeal of the net neutrality rules, thereby restoring the, the world to what it was the day before the FCC voted on them, meaning that the 2015 rules go back into effect. Does that require a, a presidential signature? It does. It does. It is. It is has to be signed. So okay. before this Congress, you know, it's only been used once. As soon as, um, as soon as you know, the Trump administration uh, came into power, the Congress passed, I think, maybe uh, half a dozen or, or more undoing a lot of Obama-era regulations. And so it's kind of using that same tool to restore um, one of those regulations. And there's an important pr- provision of the, this Congressional Review Act is that once that's re- uh, – if it succeeds, the agency is prohibited from – issuing further regulations on that issue ever is that correct that that is that is true so so it would freeze in place it's a one that that provision actually hasn't been tested but our you know the 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 current understanding of how that works is it would freeze in place 
those net neutrality rules passed in 2015, which, you know, frankly, they were, they were exactly, you know, what the advocacy community and, and was the proper definition of internet service providers as telecommunication services. So if, those, if that is frozen in place and future FCCs kind of can't play around with it, that's, that's not a wholly bad outcome. And um, so right now you, there was a vote in the Senate in May of this year um, where to um, basically reverse the repeal order and what was the result of that vote? Yeah, so it so it passed. The Republicans, we actually did get some Republican uh, support. Um, so all Democrats and some Republicans passed it. We got you know over the 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 CRA mechanism actually doesn't have a filibuster. So really, we just needed fifty plus one in the Senate to pass, and so that's how it got out of the Senate. And now we're waiting in the House of Representatives to see if we can get a majority there to to restore the rules and send it to the president for signature. And how many votes do you have now? Do you think? Uh, so yeah, right now we're at 177. So it's 218 to pass. Um, there are 194 Democrats. We've got 19 that are not yet on. So we're still working on that. Okay. And then uh, we have one Republican, Kaufman, who was voted out in this uh, in this in November. But you know, this this Congress is still there, and they've got until December 10th to get this done. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, that's why there's a a big rally tomorrow to see this through before the next Congress comes into power. So if you get the 19 Dems and Kaufman, how many short are you? We are, we are, so that would be 19 plus. Uh, so I think we'll be, we need a handful of Republicans, let me put it that way. Okay. And how many do you need total? We are 218 to pass. Right. So you right now you're at one. 177. There's 19 right, Dems so... left. So yeah. you're 41. You need 41 new new votes, and that's just to, I guess the procedurally you have to do a discharge petition. Is it since the leadership's not going to bring this up for a vote? That's correct. So that so that 177 number actually reflects the number on the discharge petition. So once we get a majority of the House, that that petition can be sent to the floor and voted on. And uh, interesting. And, yeah, and so, so it, it bypasses leadership from being able to block it, which you know, I you know, uh, I think that is that is the disposition of the leadership now that they don't want to see this voted on. And presumably, you know, if you have that many people on discharge position, they'll vote to. Re- oh uh, yes, yes, it would be it would be quite strange to to sign on to a discharge petition and then not pass the underlying legislation. So let, let's so, assume, so those votes are equivalent. Let's assume you succeed in passing it. Is there any indication that the Trump administration will, will sign this? I, I think with the Trump administration, making predictions is really, really difficult. And I think, <laughs> you know, if, they, if something gets out of, you know, this is, these are two Republican-controlled chambers. So if, they, if it makes it out, you know, I, you know, it's not, I'd say there's a chance that he'll sign. Okay, that's that's uh, being an optimist, um, but it's uh, yeah. I, I I don't recall. I do recall him not being a fan of net neutrality during the campaign, um, but I, I just don't know what well, he hasn't made any really public pronouncements since then. But um, so, how um, how confident are you that you can get the the votes by December tenth? I I think we're we're fighting. You know, I think that there's some there's some new people in special elections that were elected to Congress um, who are there now who can sign the discharge petition. 
Um, uh, I mean, that's why we're, as I said, rallying tomorrow. We've got a lot of internet sites uh, fighting with us. Um, I think hopefully we're going to see some movement. And are there any, you know, in I remember in 2010, a lot of the Democrats who actually came out as early supporters of net neutrality lost. Um, how did the net neutrality supporters do election day this time? Oh, I, I really, really well, actually. I think a lot of, you, know, you can actually see a lot of Democrats used it as a campaign issue. Um, there's somewhere around 62 new Democrats, and of those, we, we did a little calculation, about 70% of those publicly stated their support for net neutrality, either in their campaign platforms um, or on their websites or just said it in the, in the course of campaigning. I think, you know, net neutrality voters are, are a real thing. The public is overwhelmingly in support of of these rules and certainly they're popular with young people and it's it's no surprise in a in an election where a lot of you know uh new faces were elected to congress those people are are quite well attuned to internet issues and what and what the public wants in that regard well i'm quite well attuned to my advertisers and so we're going to take a short break when we come (laughs) back we'll have more on net neutrality after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report only at webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Celebrating the best in online advertising, the Web Marketing Association presents the 2018 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to www.iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is January 31st, 2019. All winners will have their entry highlighted on the Internet Advertising Competition website, as well as receive a handsome trophy to display or a personalized certificate of achievement. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry into the Web Marketing Association's 2018 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Go to www.iacaward.org now. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back and we're talking with Guarev LaRoya about... Um, the current state of affairs on net neutrality and um, while it may not have been on the front page every day the last few few months it definitely is about to heat up and so we were just talking about the current battle in Congress to repeal um, or reverse the FCC's repeal order and um Tomorrow, there is an internet-wide day of action um, calling that's going to invite people to contact Congress 
to get those remaining votes needed to pass uh, the, um, the the resolution to reverse the net, net neutrality repeal. Can you tell us a little bit about that Internet Way Day of Action? Is I'm assuming Free Press is part of that. Sure, yes, yes, we are. If you go to Battle for the Net, you'll, um, uh, I believe it's .net, you'll see actions you can take. People have signed petitions, called their members, or encouraging them to do so again, to see, uh, to get the remaining people on to, uh, as you said, to do a repeal of the repeal of, of the net neutrality rules. So we've got to get that done uh, by December, by December 10th. And so this is, this is a, let's say, one of our last big pushes to see uh, to see that uh, the CRA pass. Who's um? Who are some of the people behind this? Uh, who's uh, this is? I mean, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the groups that have been interested in net neutrality for years now. Certainly, Free Press, Fight for the Future. There's a uh, you know, there's internet companies that are behind it too. We've got um, you know, uh, Tumblr, some VPNs, uh, the, the popular blog Boing Boing. I think. You know, over the past couple of years, lots of internet companies certainly, and and you know, millions of ordinary people have gotten out there and contacted their members of Congress, contacted the FCC to make sure that these rules don't go away. And so, you know, we're we're appealing on on those allies again to to get out there tomorrow, and you know, uh, let's see those congressional phones ring off the hook, and uh, and you know, make sure they know that the public is behind seeing these rules restored. And there's a website called deadlineforNetNeutrality.com that um, where you can sign an open letter to Congress and it tells you how you can help promote this battle and um, it lists some of the recent signers to the letter as Etsy, Tumblr, Foursquare, Namecheap, Postmates. Um, you mentioned Boing Boing, and um, so a lot of. Um, well-known people um, joining the support, and uh, looks like it's even Donna Brazil, um, yeah. but um, or someone with a picture with Donna Brazil. But any <laughs> any event, and of course we have Alyssa Milano as well uh, on the on the fight. So um, definitely take a look at the website. You can use it to contact your lawmakers. Um, you know I won't. You know, I won't hide anything here. I've always been a strong supporter of net neutrality, and um, you know, I I believe it's vital to a free and open net internet. So I hope you'll take a look at that um, and and can give it consideration because, as we mentioned, there is a deadline, December tenth, and after that, um, it doesn't mean Congress can't repeal it um, afterwards. But this is just a a process that would just freeze things in place um, and uh, until it can be in, until this can be resolved or actually that would be the resolution right? Oh, it, it, yes that is it. it would it would restore the status quo after the after the 2015 rules were passed so it's as if it's as if the vote at the FCC to repeal the rules never happened so and it the, puts the 2015 rules back on the book and then and freezes that in place and so I, I was I was debating this issue with a net neutrality critic. And you know, he said the problem with the current the Obama process and 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 also the, the you know the, the Trump Ajit Pai process is that basically for the next you know 
10, 12 years, we're just going to be engaging in net neutrality ping pong um, based on whoever's in the White House. And that wouldn't it make more sense to do deal with this legislatively, work out a compromise, you know, something that Democrats and Republicans can agree upon. So I, I do think the, the ping pong argument is actually uh, quite strange. So it's not as if previous <laughs> administrations, Republic, yeah, well, strange is strange. Uh, naturally, <laughs> whenever <laughs> ping pong so, comes up in a public policy debate, it's usually not a good thing. Yeah, right. We've, we've considered installing one at our, at our free press office just to give the <laughs> argument homage, but you know, we decided against it. Um, it, it, is, it is odd because other Republican-led FCCs, it's started, uh, you know, it's part of that decade-long process was those FCCs trying to find the right legal framework to promulgate net neutrality rules. So the idea that this is a partisan issue or that, you know, there's going to be some endless back and forth between Democratic and Republican administrations isn't actually, you know, borne out by the history of this issue. You know, we, we advocated for, you know, Title II coverage of the net neutrality, of for net neutrality throughout that decade-long process. But it's not as if those Republican FCCs weren't trying, you know, I think in a good faith effort to pass net neutrality rules. So the idea that you know, this is going to go back and forth, you know, until the end of time, I just, I just don't think is, is right, especially given how strongly the public is interested in seeing these rules restored. And I think, Harvey, you, you make a very important point, and it's something that is not reported uh, well in this current debate. The, up until now, the issue hasn't been net neutrality, yes or no. You know, the issue has been net neutrality, yes, but mm -hmm. how do we do it? You know, we started with, you know, one of the most conservative FCC chairman, Powell, who made it as a voluntary, you know, guidelines. And, mm -hmm. and then you had Chairman Martin try to... Um, you know, enforce those involuntary guidelines with with um, unsuccessfully. Um, who was also a re Republican um, FCC chair, and and so that it's never been the debate about is net neutrality a good thing. The debate was how do we do it legally, and how do we enforce it. What's changed dramatically about the current rules isn't that it's just repealing the Obama rules. But it's walking away from net neutrality itself. It's saying yeah, you, to ISPs, you don't have to adhere to these long-standing you know, FCC principles. That you know, even in in essence, if you go back to the Pony Express days, you know, there were rules that you can't prioritize. You know, uh, one package over another. You know, you have to treat them equally, um, and and so. You can now walk away from this long-standing practice as long as you disclose it, and um, yeah. that I think has not been reported well. I, you know, I just think people just say, "Well, it's just repealing it." No, they're doing much more than that, and that's why this order is so so much so radical. That's in, that's entirely correct. It's it's not as if in 2015 the Wheeler-led FCC came up with this idea out of whole cloth. You know, as, as you mentioned, the, the history is there. The previous FCCs tried to pass uh, net neutrality rules in, in some sort of legal structure, and twice 
those frameworks were struck down in court, not because the principles behind net neutrality are wrong, merely that the right authority, which Free Press has long argued, to do this kind of regulation is under Title II of the Communications Act, and, and the courts, in fact, instructed the FCC that if you want to promulgate these rules here, just do it under this right legal authority, and, and they'll be upheld, and that's exactly what happened at the D.C. Circuit. So, you know, like you said, the, the principle of non-discrimination in communications networks is a long-standing idea in the United States, as you've said, with the Pony Express example, and, and that's why you know, Republican FCCs, Democratic FCCs have tried to, you know, work that rule for the internet era. And then finally in 2015, promulgated those rules under the right legal authority and they were upheld. As you said, there's been no question about whether we should have net neutrality, just exactly the right legal framework to make sure it, it, uphold, it stays upheld in court. So be, before we get to the, you know, the main event of this whole battle, which is the DC circuit um, case, um, have you ever had an interview where you the the issues of the Pony Express and ping pong came up? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is my first Pony Express interview, so thank you. That was a good quite like So, so um, let, let's get to so the, the the real battle, which unless which which could would be rendered moot if the um, Congressional Review Act procedure is successful, but um, the real battle that that. Is you know kind of the the World War II so to speak, of um, net neutrality legal battle since you know we we had the successful fight in 2016 over the Obama rules, is um, in February, 23 state attorney generals and then a number of public interest groups, including Mozilla Foundation and your organization Free Press filed a case in the D.C. Circuit challenging um, the, the the repeal order. And um, that's now been consolidated um, and briefed. You know, I think you, both you have presented your, your side's briefs. The SEC recently responded. And we're going to have arguments in, in February 2019. And um, give us a preview of where you think that case stands. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's all right. Uh, the, the FCC's argument is actually quite strange. I've used that word before, but, you know, once again, it, it's, uh, they are trying to read the word telecommunications out of the Communications Act. So the, the, the Communications Act contemplates two different kinds of services. Telecommunications service, that's the pathway, you know, for example, the, the pipes that, that you know these um, uh, ISPs lay for the internet and and the destinations those websites the actual information services is what it's called um, and so the the Pi FCC has decided that the because the pipes for the internet lead to websites that they should also be classified under the same regulatory regime as websites that is to say that they the FCC has you know no regulatory authority over you know, your, your website, you know, your podcast website. And so it should also not have any authority whatsoever to regulate ISPs. And, and it sounds strange because it is. We, in our brief, we've actually, you know, analogized to saying, you know, if you're, a, if, you, if you're a construction company that builds roads and you build a road to a hotel, let's call this hotelmozilla.com, okay. your, your, you know, there's, there's rules for how, you know, roads need to be constructed, uh, you know, speed limits, all that stuff. But it, this is as if the, the 
So a company building the road says, actually, because we are connecting you to a hotel, there shouldn't be any, the road is now also considered part of the hotel. So there should be no rules that apply to roads for this road. It, it, it's, it's really, that is really the argument they're making, and which, which actually makes you know, kind of the job relatively straightforward for us. The Communications Act contemplates the existence of telecommunication services. I think it's quite easy to demonstrate that the intent of Congress and the, the letter of the law was that the, the connection between endpoints of communications, um, destinations are in fact those com- telecommunication services. And the FCC was right to, you know, to call a, sp- to call a you know, I guess a state of faith to say that this is in fact, um, the ISPs are in fact telecommunication services. So it's, the argument is relatively straightforward actually. Let me, uh, let's put it in uh, maybe a, a, a context. So the FCC is a, um, is an independent agency that is governed by um, the Administrative Procedures Act. And, and that requires that um, whatever they do meet certain uh, evidentiary standards. Is that correct? That's right. They also have to, you know, conduct a reasoned decision-making process. And that's also one of the things that we've, you know, mentioned our brief that the FCC has lacked. You know, this is really, you know, it was promulgated perhaps, you know, two years after the the 2015 Open Internet Order. And the FCC wasn't able to demonstrate or, or to even come up with any evidence that would justify the reversal of those rules. And, you know, that's a, that is a legal standard that the commission itself has to meet under the APA. And I think we can, you know, quite easily demonstrate that you know, there, there was no reasoned decision-making process here, that this was, you know, a fait accompli as, as the new commission was sworn in. And, you know, that's, that's actually, you know, impermissible. There's quite a lot of latitude for these agencies, but they still have to kind of do their homework and, and justify their decision-making process. And that's something they they really failed at in this repeal. So they can't just say, "Hey, we're in power now. We don't like that." You know, bye bye net neutrality. They have to. What is the standard they have to show? Yeah, um, it's there's a lot of latitude for these agencies. So that it's actually you know kind of funny. The courts are very usually quite deferential to these agencies. You know, reasoned decision making is one of the problems of you know the um, the APA. You know, they have to read the law right, but, you know, they have to justify these kinds of decisions, and the court is usually happy to let them do it. But this FCC, you know, in our, in our estimation, I think you'll, you'll see this borne out, just, just really made no effort to, to, to justify or come up with a reason why, you know, these rules weren't working, they were impracticable, there, there was anything wrong other than, you know, frankly, an ideological commitment to overturning these rules, and that is and not permissible under the APA, and I think you'll see the court agree. Well, we're going to take a short break, and maybe it's an ad for Pony Express, maybe not, can't promise you, <laughs> but uh, when we come back, we'll have more on that neutrality after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only at webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let WebmasterRadio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. WebmasterRadio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, 
Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. You have arrived at the destination for education and entertainment. WebmasterRadio.fm Because not everyone's last name is Gates. WebmasterRadio.fm We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm and we're back, and we're talking to Gareth Loria about the battle over net neutrality. And we're just talking about um, the FCC's briefing and the current showdown that's going to take place when the, the cases argued in February 2019 as 23 attorney generals and public interest groups are challenging the FCC order. And um, so it's... What is the basis, really, for them saying that um, they they can repeal the order? Sure. I mean, the, the principal ground for their reclassification, their repeal, um, is the FCC's view that even if broadband internet access services do nothing more than provide a telecommunications path to the edge providers, meaning you know websites and everything on the internet, that path itself qualifies as an information service. In other words that it is under the same regulatory regime, that is to say no regime, as destinations on the internet. And so if that sounds you know, odd that the path is the same as the destination, it is, and that's, that is quite literally the, the legal argument they are making. You know, they, they, and, and in an effort to justify that, the FCC said you know, that the, the net neutrality rules had considerable social cost in foregone investment and innovation with no discernible incremental benefit relative to Title I classification, that is to say the same classification in general that websites are under. And so, you know, as, as we said before the break, they have to justify that idea, that there, there was somehow considerable cost to having net neutrality, that there's no benefits to having uh, internet access services uh, under no regulation versus under a net neutrality regime. And I just think that's a burden that they, it's a relatively low burden that the, the courts have set up, but it's a burden they, they cannot meet. There is, there is no evidence for those claims, and I think you'll see that borne out in the, in the court case and arguments. And um, who, is the, what, who are the judges that, you, that you've been assigned? Um, I, I, I that I will have to, to look. I don't have that in my hands. Sorry. Well, there was one. There was one judge who who ruled on the first two cases, and I wonder. I was wondering whether he was going to be part of the panel. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't have that information. That's okay. That's fine. Back to the Pony Express. No. um, (laughs) So, in terms of timeline, this could be argued in February, but a decision may not happen until May, probably, right? That is that is right. So they're going to you know ruminate on these arguments for a time, and I think mid May, mid summer is is you know the likely timeline for when we're going to get a decision. You know the what happens behind the closed doors of court is is mysterious, but I think that is that is kind of the likely pace at which these cases are decided. And um, there, as you in in this process, there is what is known as amicus briefs where friends of the court brief where outside parties submit briefs and to support one side or the other who are some of the the notable um amiki who have um joined your cause oh sure so so you know um the internet association for one which is a collection of you know some of the biggest edge provider services on the internet um um you know a lot of these you know, websites, other public interest groups that, you know, weren't on, you know, principal party to the case, but have also, you know, people that represent the public. Um, members of Congress have also uh, written in to, to, you know, people that were there at the passage of the Communications Act saying that, in fact, this is how we intended the law passed in 1996 to operate. We fully contemplated, even in 1996, the existence of um, internet access, even cable internet access. It was a forward-looking piece of legislation. And they're writing in to say this is this is in fact how we intended the law to work, and this repeal by the FCC has no basis in what we intended to pass, and no basis in the text of the act itself. Now, there's a couple of controversies currently surrounding um, FCC Chairman Andrew Pai, and and one is, uh, for lack of a better term, comment gate or fake comment. Gate, I guess. Um, yeah. Can you tell us what happened with respect? To, apparently, there were, um, you know, over a million. Those trying to remember the exact number. How many million comments were filed um, in response to um, the proposed repeal? And um, 21 million comments were submitted, and it turns out that many of them appear to have been fraudulently submitted. Um, what do we? What do we know about that now? Sure. So the the AGs of both uh, DC and New York have have our law have launched investigations. Um, you know, issued uh, quite a few um, subpoenas actually of organizations that were submitting comments. They are trying to figure out where all these fake comments came from. I think the numbers are something like perhaps nine million fraudulent comments. In wow. New York, the the AG has said you know ordinary people's names just from you know a, a names out of the phone book were used to submit comments to the FCC. You know, millions of those people have said, you know, uh, I you know, didn't know anything about this proceeding. I've certainly not issued comments. So there's a, a real identity theft issue. And, and I think quite importantly, you know, a, a corruption of the democratic process. It is, it is really important for the public to have confidence in, you know, being able to participate in these proceedings. And if, you know, there's an entity out there dumping literally, you know, some close to 10 million fake comments. It's a, it's an attack on the way, um, you know, the, these agencies are meant to be responsive to the public. It's a way to say, oh, you know, these comments are fake. We don't have to listen to them. And that's, that's really, you know, harmful for our ability to be able to participate 
in these really important proceedings that affect how you know how these services are governed in this country. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that the fake comments were in favor of repeal. That is that that is that is true. There were there were just you know millions upon millions of you know fake comments that are being investigated. Like you said, in favor of getting in favor of getting rid of the rule. And there's no idea what where this came from. Yeah, well, so, you know, I don't know what the these AGs know, but you know, they are there are subpoenas out there, and I, I, you know, believe they'll get to the bottom of it. But you know, they they certainly came from somewhere, and there's questions about you know who did it, who paid for it. Uh, real questions about you know, kind of maintaining the integrity of of a really important part of the democratic process. Now, um, there's another issue involving this comment process. And uh, at one point, um, Ajipai claimed that the um, there was a, a DNS attack on the FCC that led to you know comments shutting down, and that apparently was false. Could, do you know anything about that? Yeah, sure. So, so you know, uh, John Oliver on his show uh, had a segment about net neutrality during um, the FCC's process directed his followers to, to go to the site, have issue comments, you know, and, you know, and that segment itself became quite popular. So more and more people were trying to comment the FCC's process. That took down the FCC's comment portal site. So the FCC decided to claim that this was, there was a denial of service attack. They, they said this was in fact an attack on the comment process. Someone was trying to take it down and, and, what it meant is that ordinary people that were kind of animated by the public airing of, of what was going on at the FCC weren't able to comment at all. And, and like you said, that had no basis in fact. The uh, Chairman Pai kind of had to admit that it was they were wrong, um, that the FCC was mistaken, and, and that there was in fact a denial of service attack. It was really just the crush of comments that came through in favor of maintaining the 2015 rules. Um, I think so right now that issue is, is kind of put to rest only because, you know, there's no, there's no one out there able to ask um, Chairman Pai the right questions. But my, my guess is during what I'm sure will be some really interesting oversight hearings um, in the next Congress, I, it would not surprise me to see this issue brought up again. And the one other thing that may come up at one of those hearings is the FCC regularly, um, collects data on broadband speeds in America and in the past there was an annual report by the FCC um, on where we stood on that because one of the missions of the FCC is to uh, promote broadband adoption um, Ajit Pai has not done that he's been not releasing this data and is that because the data is not good? Uh, and you know the the FCC under this administration is is not releasing reports, as you said, not releasing the broadband speed information, and and you know I I think because this is a very you know politically driven FCC, and if, if Chairman Pai thinks those numbers don't look good for him, he's going to you know quash those kinds of reports, and and like you said, that's the kind of activity that you know a. Uh, uh, a house that's interested in investigating these kinds of issues is going to have to uncover and get out there. Um, previously, you know, I think the uh, Pi FCC 
tried to revise, you know, some numbers like that, saying that more people had access to broadband because they lowered the threshold for what is considered broadband. All these kinds of political games of goosing the numbers, these issues keep piling up at Chairman Pai's FCC, and, and I think there is a lot of room to thoroughly investigate you know, what, what exactly is going on at the commission right now. So we have a link to um, Guar's, um, what the website for Free Press as well as Guar's Twitter account um, if you want more information about Guar from Free Press. I do have one question about your bio. Um, you indicate you, you like getting uh, fresh air riding your bike to and from one of DC's <laughs> many roof decks. What are your favorite roof decks? Oh, you know, the, what, what is nice about this town is it's hot 90% of the time, well, in the summer at least. Yeah. Every now and then you catch a cool breeze up there, and it is, it is, it is very, very nice. So that's a, it's a good respite from not just sweating on the sidewalk. You get a little breeze in your face um, when you're on one of these rooftops, and it's, it's really pleasant. What's, what's one of your favorites? Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place, uh, 1905 uh, 9th Street. It is a, now it's a little taco place. It's got a roof deck. It is, it is really nice. Okay, and there's some there's some famous ones. I know there's, uh, um, you know the the now what used to be Hotel Washington now the W, which overlooks the White House, and oh, it's a beautiful uh, one, definitely. And I like Perry's and Adams Morgan. I don't know oh, if that's yeah, still yeah. there, but um, some beautiful that, string lights, string lights and sushi up there. It's a, it's yeah. a really nice place, um, and a very fun part of town. So I want to thank you um, for joining us, everyone. Please um, take a look at what um, a free press at freepress.net. In addition, um, t- check out um, the uh, where we stand on the internet-wide day of action. You can go to deadlineforneutrality.com. And what's the website for Battle for the Internet? It's the Battle for the Net as well. If you just Google that, you'll, you'll get right to it. Battle for the Net will take you to um, the free press site and tell you more about what you can do. And um, check out internetlawcenter.net. That's our, our law firm. We're a full-service internet law firm. And just a reminder, we'll be back next week with another show. But in three weeks will be our year-end heroes and zeros. And who knows, last year's top zero was Ajit Pai. See who next this year's top zero will be. And uh, so this is Bennett Kelly. I want to thank um, Guara for joining us again. And tune in next week to another edition of Cyberlaw and Business Report. And check us out on Twitter at Cyberlaw Radio. Have a great weekend, everyone. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.